Welcome to the School of Faith podcast. I'm Chris Nye, and today we're doing a Bible deep dive. I don't know how often we'll do these, but it seemed appropriate right now to go deep into the book of Daniel. As a church through this fall, we are exploring the biblical theme of exile. Sunday services were preaching through the book of First Peter to explore that from a New Testament perspective. And then in our groups, we're going through the book of Daniel, as well as providing a Bible reading plan um, for different Old Testament passages that look towards exile, and some School of Faith events that are dealing with what does it mean to be a citizen of heaven, but also a citizen of earth, and exploring what that really means, that we are Americans, or living in America, and yet we are Christians. And that this idea of biblical exile actually expands not only from the Old Testament to the New Testament, but to today in the 21st century. And so hopefully, as a church, after this fall kind of wraps up, we'll have a better understanding of what this means biblically and how this affects our lives today. I thought we should do a deep dive into the book of Daniel for a couple of reasons. One is we're receiving a lot of questions about the book as we uh, progress in our groups and our groups are kind of uh, digging deep into this book, um, you can head to awakeningchurch.com forward slash groups dash resources to get our Daniel curriculum. But in addition to that Daniel curriculum, I thought we should do some background to the book to help supplement you as leaders and also those that are curious in your groups. I don't expect everybody to be a biblical scholar, and I don't even expect me to have all the content every time for the book, but it just so happens that... Um, I got to spend some time in the last uh, five or six years uh, regularly going to a Bible college over in um, the coast of Oregon and uh, at the Cannon Beach, and I would lecture on the book of Daniel. I taught this book, I, th I think, five, four or five times to different uh, undergraduate classes there at the college, and I would go there for five days. I'd do nine lectures on the book of Daniel. So I have a ton of content on this, and I thought... Man, we can't offer all these classes, nor would I expect all of you guys to attend nine lectures in the book of Daniel. But I thought, hey, why don't we podcast this out, get this out there, um, so that it's helpful for those of you that want to take a deeper look at Daniel. So let's now open to Daniel 1, and we'll do Daniel 1 this episode, and then we'll just do Daniel 2, and we'll, we'll see how far we get. I think we'll probably just do the six chapters, because we're covering that much um, in our groups, which is the narrative section of Daniel. So Daniel 1 through 6. Um, so let's look at Daniel 1 right now. So the context for Daniel is that this is a book that takes place during the Babylonian exile, which is a huge point in um, Jewish history and in biblical history. We're actually kind of transported there in Daniel 1.1, where it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Verse 2, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Right off the bat, we got to see this as a bad news opening to the book of Daniel. In other words, I almost feel like we should set this scene as, you know, during a dark time in Israel's history is what this writer is saying. And it's pointing us back to a couple of key passages. It's pointing us back to 2 Chronicles 36, 15 through 21, which is 2 Chronicles, a historical book, talking about the 
end of the reign of the kings of Israel as they are defeated by the um, Babylonian kings. And the people of Israel are taken out of their homeland and brought over to Babylon as would happen in ancient wars. The king that would win would basically take the spoils or the you know, riches and treasures and even people of a particular country and adopt them as his own. And that's precisely what Nebuchadnezzar is doing here. The biblical background and theological background that's important here um, is that this was actually in God's plan, strangely. Uh, in your Old Testament, I often say when you're reading the prophets, you're actually reading people who are directing God's uh, people back more than forward. So, okay, so we think about prophets. Daniel is a prophetic book, and we think about him or Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, Nahum, whatever. All these prophetic books we think about foretelling the future or even foretelling about Christ. And there is content in there about the foretelling of the Messiah, the foretelling of the new age, all that stuff. But, man, there's so much actually about the um, what's behind. And most prophets are actually taking you back to Deuteronomy 28 and 29, okay? Now, this is really important. Deuteronomy 28 and 29 are the places where God is foretelling the ways in which um, obedience will lead them to life and disobedience will lead them to death. So while it is in God's sovereignty that God's people here in Israel would, um, you know, it's in his sovereignty that they would be going into exile and be taken captured by Babylon, it's actually also in God's sovereignty if the people were to obey that they wouldn't go to exile. And if you don't believe me, you can actually turn in your Bible to Deuteronomy 28 and Deuteronomy 29. And Deuteronomy 28, there's a long passage of God's blessing for obedience. He says, look, if you just keep my ways, this is what will happen. You will prosper. Good things will come. Um, you know, it says that the enemies, uh, this is Deuteronomy 28, 7, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you in seven ways. You know, he's like, if you follow my ways, you can trust me to kind of win your battles for you. And we see this in the book of Joshua, like God does this as the people stay obedient to him. But it's in their disobedience that actually God foretells he would hand them over into exile. If you just skip, so I was just in Deuteronomy 28, 7, uh, mentioning that. If you just go to Deuteronomy 28, 37 or 36, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 28, 36, it says the Lord... If you disobey, the Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you, which is actually an interesting thing, the king whom you set over you. God was like, I'll, God's plan was always that he would be the king. But Israel wanted to set themselves up kings, and the Lord is actually foreknowing this in 36. So the king and you who you set over you, I will bring you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. Sound familiar? It's Babylon. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, and you shall become a horror, a proverb, and a byword among the peoples where the Lord will lead you away. And it's actually this kind of painful prophecy in Deuteronomy 28 
that Daniel is actually pointing back to. You see, this is the way it was always going to go if the people disobeyed. There's another passage in Deuteronomy 28, 64. It says, the Lord will scatter you among the peoples. And from one end to the, um, sorry, from, from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which you nor your fathers have known. And among these nations, you shall find no respite, and there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot. In other words, you'll be wandering, right? And so Daniel is set in this context actually of grief. And one thing Daniel's going to try to do is not point us forward as much as point us back to saying, you see, God has told us a way to go. We have disobeyed that way and we are now suffering the very consequences he foretold. The prophet is simply speaking God's word to man. So Daniel, you'll hear him echoing, quoting, living into Deuteronomy 28, the curses of disobedience. And, and this is important for all prophets, but especially important as we see um, that Daniel actually agrees that God has the power to hand Judah and Jerusalem and Israel over to Babylon. And so uh, this, this is uh, the important backdrop for us is that Daniel is not uh, plan B. Daniel's not a mistake. Daniel's not out of nowhere. The exile's not out of nowhere. The exile is rather in God's plan. And so that's where the story begins, right? In Daniel 1, 1, 2. And it's from there that we kind of pick up some of the narrative stuff that you'll see Again, in the content that we've prepared for you at awakeningchurch.com slash groups dash resources, or just go to the groups resources page from the front page there, you'll see some of the Bible Project videos and some of the further background to it. But, you know, the important kind of piece of Daniel, I think, is, is that there's a structure here, and that it opens with this narrative, and it places us in Daniel 1.1, 1, 1, um, you know, like in, in the narrative place and the historical place of the Jews being exiled into Babylon. But that also sets up the first half of the book. So one of the things you'll see in the Bible Project video is that Daniel is broken up into two sections, two clean sections. Chapters 1 through 6 is narrative, and chapters 7 through 12 is apocalyptic visions, okay? And that's a different kind of deeper layer of metaphor and meaning. But in 1 through 6, we are getting a narrative, and that is set up in um, 1 through 6. Now, I want to tell you that another key piece is that these two sections are sometimes debated about authorship, and um, they're debated about the time in which they were written. But you can see very clear links between the two sections that actually a lot of scholars write that um, are writing commentaries really do believe that this is the same writer, same time it was written. And they're linked by literary features, actually. First is the dates um, in the visions are linked to the dates in the narrative, okay? So they happen kind of at the same time. And it's weird. It's almost like you could lay uh, chapters 7 through 12, the second half, on top of 1 through 6, that the visions were happening interspersed throughout the narrative. It's almost like Daniel's like, hey, I'm going to tell you the story first. I'm going to throw the whole story out there. Then I'm going to tell you the intricacies of the theology that was happening there, the visions I was seeing, the things that God was speaking to me, right? It's like, let me get the story out of the way first and then drop into you some of the theology. Secondly, one of the reasons the two sections are linked is that the, the book starts in Hebrew and ends in Hebrew. There's a section in the middle 
uh, chapter two is crazy. That's actually in Aramaic. Okay, so your Bible's written into in three languages, but predominantly written in two: Hebrew in the Old Testament, Greek in the New Testament. But there are portions of both the Greek New Testament when Jesus is speaking. For example, he uses Aramaic, the language he probably used um, in his conversations, mostly. Um, and then Aramaic is also kind of threaded in weird places in the Old Testament. One of those places is right here in Daniel. But it's actually a key reason that the the two sections, 1 through 6 and 7 through 12, are linked together is through the um, translation from Aramaic. And here's my point. The Aramaic section spans um, over those two divided sections, okay? The section of Aramaic is chapter 2 through the end of chapter 7. So I told you, right, that like 1 through 6 and 7 through 12 are the two parts. So one of the links of the two parts is that chapters 6 and 7 are in Aramaic. So you actually see kind of like this beautiful um, connection of authorship there, which makes us think this is definitely one unified book. It's just in two organized sections of six chapters each. Um, the, the other thing is that there's, there's visions that mirror each other. So actually, the key two mirrors are chapters 2 and chapter 7. Um, so again, in your groups, you're going to be walking through just 1 through 6. But if you read 7 through 12, you'll see vision 7 is actually more of an extrapolation of the vision in chapter 2. Okay, so the visions actually link the two sections as well. Um, and then the message. I mean, the, the theme of Daniel is so... Um, is so clear throughout all 12 chapters that the message of the visions in chapters 7 through 12 actually reinforces the message of the narratives in chapters 1 through 6. Let me say that again. The message of the visions in 7 through 12, the apocalyptic visions, that actually mirrors the message of the narratives in chapters 1 through 6. And so because of the themes are so predominant, um, throughout all seven chapters, we definitely think this is the same authorship. And so historical setting, authorship, that's some of the main chunks of the background of the book of Daniel. Um, there's one more thing that we have to talk about as we start Daniel chapter one, which is that this is a unique prophetic book, okay? Most prophetic books have a little narrative and then a lot of vision or a lot of... Um, you know, sayings. So you think about the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, even when you look through it, uh, you know, at a cursory glance of Isaiah, you're going to see a lot of intended paragraphs, right? Songs, stuff like that, right? It's more poetic, visionary literature. The book of Daniel has like a whole chunk that's just history and then a whole chunk that's just vision. So half narrative, half vision. And that's actually unique among the prophet books. Um, and you'll see actually that the words in Daniel are not spoken directly to the people, but they're, these are words Daniel uses, quote, written or sealed. And a lot of the prophets are writing down God's word that God is giving to them, and they are directing it to the people. So again, Isaiah and Jeremiah are great examples of like, hear Israel, this is what it, God says to you. You don't see that so much in Daniel as much as you see a vision revealed to Daniel that he seals up and has people interpret over much time. But um, this is this is still considered a prophetic book because of 
the ways in which it's or the, the things in which it's communicating again it's going back to deuteronomy 28 29 it's going back to saying hey god said this would happen and we must repent if we're going to see um god do what he must do which is to free us from exile we have to repent um let me give you a theme for the book of daniel that i've articulated um in some classes that i've taught before uh, I'll give it to you in the simple one-sentence version, okay? The theme of this book that spans from chapter 1 to chapter 12, I would put it this way. The theme is, despite present circumstances, God is active and his eternal rule and way will ultimately prevail, so trust him. Yeah, I'll say that again. Despite present circumstances, God is active and his eternal rule and way will ultimately prevail, so trust him. Very classic Old Testament is an invitation to trust God's wisdom. Daniel is such a great example of this, right? An invitation to trust God's wisdom despite the present circumstances. We're in exile. We don't see Jerusalem. We don't, our temple has been destroyed. Our precious um, monuments and our different, the different things and homes that, or even our homes that have been built have been destroyed. And so, um, how do we trust God? How do we trust God in that? And that's, again, the heart of the exile. The heart of the exile is I'm in a foreign land. I'm in a foreign place, and yet I will learn to trust God. I think about um, a, a verse that I often go to when I think about exile. It's actually in the Psalms. There's a Psalm 137 that is a Psalm of exile. It actually starts Psalm 137, verse 1. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Right, this picture of sitting in Babylon and weeping by the waters of Babylon, weeping for the loss of Jerusalem, weeping for the loss of the city of God. And in verse 4, as they're being tormented, mocked, missing their homeland, weeping for the city of God, there's this line in verse 4, Psalm 137, verse 4. It says, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? That is exile. How do we worship God away from home? And again, this is the theme we'll be going through a lot at Awakening, which is how, how do we live in the Silicon Valley, in the Bay Area? How do we worship God in such a worldly world, right? Like, how do we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? This is not our home. This is not the place that we should feel most comfortable. And some of that is going to come out pretty majorly throughout this first chapter in Daniel. As the young men get trained up, they you know, put uh, dietary restrictions, restrictions on what they will learn and what they will not learn. But they're going to still learn to sing the Lord's song in a foreign land. And they're going to embrace a lot of Babylon because God gave them provisions in Babylon to explore and to know the way of Babylon. In verse 4, it says that the, the young men became skillful in all wisdom endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. 
this is uh, maybe a strange thing, right? Maybe you grew up in a in a space where you were told, man, you just need to go to Christian school, Christian college, you know, stay in kind of a Christian bubble. Don't learn the things of the world. Well, there's a way that that's fine. That's great for many children and people to go that route. But you see Daniel, man, he's in the secular university you think about, right? He's in the He's in the colleges and the universities. He's studying English literature, philosophy, Plato, Aristotle. He's reading Hegel, right? He's reading Nietzsche. And he's reading what is the Chaldeans. You'll see this word pop up throughout Daniel. And it's an important backdrop. The Chaldeans were initially referred to as a section of the Babylonian Empire. Okay, so it used to be a geographic region. It used to be a Chaldean because you lived in a certain place. But over time, it turned into a descriptive term for a group who were experts in magic, in, in, in folklore, and in interpreting dreams. So a movement started in a particular geographic region of dream interpretation and magic. And from there, their teachings spread throughout all of the Babylonian Empire. And that's what made you a Chaldean, was what kind of magic and dream interpretation you would learn. And um, one of the questions that I got from one of the group leaders was, well, if Daniel's learning, right, the Chaldean way, which includes magic, isn't that like kind of making some compromises with his Jewish faith? Well, there's a difference between learning magic and practicing magic, right? You'll actually see in the narrative in chapter two, and we'll go into this further in the next episode, but in chapter two, Daniel refutes the magic of the Chaldeans with the wisdom of God. And so he actually, I, I think, my, my theory here is that he's able to refute the magic, the sayings, the interpretations of the Chaldeans because he's learned it, right? He's almost doing kind of like a form of apologetics here. You think about this, right? I think about this in my own experience of like, right, uh, in, in my undergraduate studies, I studied English, right? So I, I read the best and the best of English literature, right? Um, so what I mean by that is, um, you know, I, I, I learned the ways of um, Nabokov, right? I learned the ways of um, Jane Austen, right? I learned the ways of Frederick Douglass, but um, I w- I've actually been able to maybe take that as I've studied the word and become a Christian and to see its weaknesses and some of its emptiness and some of its richness. And that's part of what being in exile means is that we learn the ways of the world without adopting the ways of the world. And so Daniel learned all the tricks, right? <laughs> he learned all the tricks. Uh, he learned all of the magic that the Chaldeans had to know, their, their folklore, their dream interpretation strategies. And he's able in chapter two to say uh, this in chapter two, verse 27. He says, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. I love this in verse 28. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Why is Daniel able to say no wise man, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery? Well, not only because they failed to do that, but also because he has learned all of their ways. And he goes, at the end of it, there is an emptiness to it, right? It's the same with studying literature or philosophy. There is so much we can learn. I'm a huge proponent of reading widely, right? To, to read uh, Plato and Aristotle, to be familiar with the great Western tradition, to read Eastern 
uh, philosophy and things like that, to read novels written by, by people from all sorts of backgrounds and cultures and ethnicities, to know the story of America, not just through the lens of white literature, but through the voices of the prophets like Frederick Douglass in our history, right? Yes, 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 and amen. And yet, the answers to those questions that are brought up in our literatures, to me, are found in the capital L literature, the Bible, right? I, I see the Bible as such a transcendent wisdom that it squashes and squelches and puts down anything that is brought into its place, right? First Corinthians will put it this way, that God uh, makes the wisdom of man look foolish, right? Ma ma making the wisdom of man look foolish. The wisest of the wise, uh, Isaiah will say, um, is, is but a fool in, in, in light of God's wisdom. And that's scripture. Scripture is so transcendent, so beautiful, so sophisticated that it can be used um, to thwart and to undermine all of the ways of the Chaldeans, um, the Hellenists in the book of Acts. You think about the Greek-speaking Jews in Hellenistic philosophy, um, Pla uh, Plato's best stuff. Um, is taken down by the crucified Messiah and the wisdom of God. You know, uh, I love that Paul calls him Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Um, you know, he says Jews uh, d demand uh, wisdom, you know, Greeks demand signs, um, but we preach Christ crucified, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so um, that's a little bit of the background of Daniel chapter one. Hopefully will help you understand where we're going and uh, some of the nuances in the text. And we'll stick around uh, for, I'd love to, for you to stick around for next episode. We'll go into a little bit of a deep dive into chapter two, set some of the context so that you can better lead um, your groups and more thoughtfully study scripture. Thanks.